You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is podcast. on the phone. It's the America. Yeah. Tour Sports Podcast. It we. is Wednesday, May 4th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's having a great day. I hope everybody's ready for a loaded episode of the Aratora Sports Podcast. Different kind of episode of the Aratora Sports Podcast. And let me explain what we're going to do today. So in sports, there is something called self-scouting. I think most of you guys and girls know what that is. But essentially, it is when a football team, a basketball team, a baseball team, probably hockey, probably golf, tennis players, whatever. It's when they go ahead and watch the film and evaluate themselves. Not only what are we doing well. But what are we not doing well, and how do we fix it? Nick Saban is a famously brilliant self-scouter. He's great at figuring out, okay, we're doing this well, but we're not doing this well, and how do we fix it? It's why Nick Saban is great off of a bye. It's, because, it's how he's great coming out of the offseason. It's because he's constantly evaluating not only your team, but his team as well and what needs to improve. So why do I bring it up? I obviously am always self-scouting myself. What am I doing well? What am I not doing well? What's working? What's not? And something that I have noticed over the last couple weeks, I feel as though I have been complaining a lot about the state of college sports without really giving a solution, right? I complained about Jordan Addison the last episode and Isaiah Wong and NIL, and I told you it was going to turn into pay for play, but I never really give a solution on what I would do to fix it. Now, in my defense, it's not my job. It's not, I don't get paid millions of dollars to fix it like Mark Emmert. Um, you know, if you have a leaky sink, you can identify the problem. You don't always have the solution. But I do think I've been kind of complaining and I've been whining and this and that. And so what I wanted to do was rather than come on and complain again, I figured let's get some solutions and let's get some solutions from somebody that frankly is smarter than me. So what I want to do, what we're going to do, different episode, uh, Dan Lust, the sports law expert. I've had him on a few times. You guys love him. I always get comments and tweets and DMs whenever Dan Lust comes on. He is a practicing lawyer. He is a law professor at New York University. He teaches a sports law class, so his area of expertise is really all of these sports law issues. Uh, What's going on with Trevor Bauer right now, the Deshaun Watson case, and he is obviously keeping an especially close eye on what is going on in college sports right now. And so as I said, rather than me ranting and raving, yelling and screaming, What I'm going to do is I'm going to throw in a minute to an interview with Dan Lust where we really hit on the state of college sports, the NIL situation, 
the transfer situation, how NIL and the transfer together have set up the circumstances that we're in. But rather than just telling you what, ha- what, what has happened, what I want to do is have Dan come in and start to offer solutions. Is this something that can be fixed? Is this something that in terms of NIL, we can figure out a way to get all 50 states on the same page? What about the transfer portal where, as I record, we have 1,500 players still in the portal with some of those kids, not go- they're not going to have a chance to get a scholarship somewhere else. So in about two minutes from now, one minute from now, Dan Lust, lawyer, sports law expert, and if you're not following him on Twitter, you need to be at Sports Law Lust. He is going to join me to talk about all things college sports and get to the root of some of the problems and what can be fixed. What I will say really quick is, again, I know I've been ranting and raving and yelling and screaming a lot, but what I will say is over the last day or two, I really have come to the conclusion that at some point, somebody will help us wrap our arms around all of this. I don't think we're just going to go on in perpetuity with some NIL deals being under the table and some being over the table and crazy boosters at this school tweeting about it and a collective over there. I do believe at some point we will wrap our arms around it, but right now we are in the, kind of this crazy time where there are no rules, there are no regulations, and it has led to the situation that we're currently in. Dan Lust will join me. After Dan Lust, I will come back and just hit on some news and notes from Tuesday I'll be fully honest, I'm recording here about 5 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, going to a uh, little Dave Chappelle show on uh, Tuesday night here. So if anything happens late, I won't be able to get to it. But we'll talk a little bit about Baylor Shireman, the transfer who committed to Creighton. What does it mean for Creighton? What does it mean for the schools that he left behind? How much did NIL have to do with that? Because I'll tell you this, I know a lot about that recruitment. It isn't as much as you think. We'll talk about some interesting comments coming out of Kentucky where one of John Calipari's staff members said, we do not negotiate F- uh, NIL stuff, blah, 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 blah. So Baylor Shireman, some news and notes at the end of the show. But right now, let's throw to my interview with Dan Lust, sports law expert, lawyer at NYU, host of the Conduct Detrimental podcast. We are going to cover soup to nuts, beginning to end, everything going on in college sports right now and see if we can get some solutions to everything going on. Here is my interview with Dan Lust. All right, joining me via Zoom. So here's the deal. I, I, I did a little preamble before I brought, brought in Dan Lust. He is a sports law expert. Follow him on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. He teaches uh, law, sports law at NYU. He hosts the Contract Don, Conduct Detrimental podcast. Worst intro ever, but I did a little preamble where I feel like Dan Lust, I've been a little whiny over the last couple of weeks because you could see from a million miles away um, that this NIL thing on July 1st of 2021, uh, it wasn't going to end well and it was going to get out of control quickly if some guardrails were not put into place. And so I feel like I've been a little bit whiny and instead of, instead of just continuing to complain, I brought you on to give us some answers. So Dan Lust, as I said, sports law expert, NYU, uh, Conduct Detrimental Podcast. You and I, over the next 20, 25 minutes or so, we're going to save college sports. How does that sound? How does that sound for you on a Tuesday afternoon? Uh, It sounds like we're setting the bar incredibly high for this conversation. But you know what? We can only go up from here, right? I think that's how it goes. I think that's the expression goes. Again, I don't want to be glasses half full, but we literally can't be worse than the current administration. So I don't think we're setting it too high. So let's just get into it. Okay, so so you, you know, you, you're such a fun guy to talk to because you look at things from different lenses. You look at it not only from a sports fan like myself, 
um, but obviously from the law aspect of it as well. Uh, both from a distance, and I know that you have some high-level conversations with some important people, what have you seen from college sports really over the last year, but more so the last month or so, where it seems like essentially a couple of things have happened. One, players are now just entering the portal to see what NIL offers are out there. Um, you know, players are, I don't want to say extorting their schools, but sort of extorting their schools to get more money from a distance, but also with your legal head on, what have you seen from college sports the last month and what is your reaction to it? So remind me, I have to hit on that extortion comment, but that's, that's a big one, okay. but I, I'll say this in, in my, in my estimation and someone that's, uh, I'm a lawyer, I'm a sports fan. Yeah, Aaron, you know this, I used to work for the New York Giants and their public relations department. So I have the PR side as well. I like to look at things from a, from a very high level. So I think on July 1st of 2021, we all knew there was chaos, but I think by and large, if you pulled the, you read the room, you had a, you know, stroll paw, um, you know, you, you would basically have everybody, I don't know, universally saying, this is great. This is great for athletes. Everyone was saying hundred percent positivity. Um, I, I think, I mean, I've sensed it on social media in this last month where the tides have changed a little bit. And that certainly has a lot to do with that transfer window, uh, you know, that May 1st deadline that everyone was kind of circling. You know, uh, people had transferred out. There were these big NIL deals. People were reporting, you know, um, different recruiting battles being won and fought, uh, you know, won and lost on NIL deals, which schools were poning up, which were not. The difference between the have and the have nots on NIL are being very clear. So I, I'm sensing it. That's the list last month. Um, and also in this last month is that term that, I, that you, you hit on extortion. You know, we, we're in a world which we'll get into, but every state that has an NIL law has some slight nuances. Not all states have NIL laws. So some states, they have really no guidelines. They could do whatever they want. And where's the NCA, right? You and I can probably do a better job on this call than the NCA is doing. Why? Because the NCA had this whole big plan to put forward their own guidelines. They have not done anything. They basically said, you know, absent of state law controlling, here's what you can and can't do. The problem is some states have laws, some do not. But in all of our sports, we're competing for national championships. We're competing for conference championships, which are all being decided across state lines. So, um, you know, when, when you tell me, uh, Aaron, and, I, and I, there's a school in particular, I think you're referencing the, the Miami situation with Isaiah Wong, the basketball player. You know, I, uh, you're not the only one. A lot of people have called that extortion. But what's, what's tricky from a legal standpoint, from an NCAA standpoint, whatever you want to call it, in Florida, Isaiah Wong and, and Miami are not allowed to, you know, have that communication about money. So Isaiah Wong's rep is kind of talking to Miami, but he's also kind of talking to the boosters. And then the question is, are, is Miami talking to the boosters? Are they allowed to talk to the boosters? Because it, it has the sniff of extortion. But at the end of the day, if, if, he, if the booster is poning up with money and the booster is allowed to do it, is it illegal? So you're hitting on a lot of stuff. I know I said a lot there, but it, the world of college sports is disjointed. It's fragmented. It's all over the place. And I, I think for I think you're right that a lot of people are sensing this uneasiness with NIL being combined with the transfer portal. It, it's kind of a, a, a big, uh, you know, big cluster right now. Yeah, that's one thing that I've said is, you know, we talk about in life and anything unintended consequences. And so, you know, what I've found in talking to people across sports is that if the transfer thing comes in, the one time transfer comes in without NIL component to it. There's still a lot of kids that just say, hey, I like being at XYZ school. I got a girlfriend here. I like the coaching staff. They believed in me when nobody did, blah, 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 blah. 
But now, you know, we hear athletes talking about it all the time. It's a business decision. It's a bit, well, now it really is a business decision where you might want to stay at that school and you might, you know, love your girlfriend. You might love the campus. You might love the coaching staff, but you're literally leaving, you know, upwards of, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table, as we learned with Nigel Pack. And so that to me is, is where I think that that's where this thing kind of, it was like, you know, what do they say? A match to gasoline or whatever, where when you combine the NIL, it's like, now kids almost, if you're, if you're a certain caliber of player, you don't have a choice but to go ahead and put your name in the portal just to evaluate your options. So I know that I don't know if that takes you anywhere in particular, but that is uh, the trend that I've really noticed over the last month or so. So I, I saw something, um, you know, I try to, I try to see, you know, I'm, I'm in the weeds just like you are, but there's certain deals that seem to, and certain news that percolates and people pay attention to. It's Isaiah Wong one was one and the Nigel Pack one was another obviously both from Miami, obviously both dealing with the same booster, John Ruiz down there. Um, so you see a guy like Nigel Pack earning 800 grand over two years. Why do you and I know that? Because the booster, John Ruiz, said the quiet part out loud. He said how much the guy was making. So what did that do? A, I think it made Miami a more, um, you know, prime destination for recruits. But two, it made the guys like Isaiah Wong, who took the team at that deep March Madness tournament run, it said, hey, Nigel Pack's earning 800 over two. I should be making a little bit more money. So it's not just impacting the transfers. It's impacting the kids that are staying in-house. So that's why you could call it extortion. And I, I, I wouldn't necessarily go that far. But I, I, yeah. it's basically looking at the comparable market. And Isaiah Wong say, hey, I, I was the guy that led them to that deep tournament run. Nigel Pack, who, who is he? He's coming in from out. If, it's almost like the pros, right? If if, um, you know, if Pat Mahomes gets X amount of money, Josh Allen's going to say, hey, I want that, but I want a little bit more. That's that's a new world here. And I will say one thing, Aaron, that we should hit on, right? We, when are these athletes getting paid? They're getting paid to do really, I want to say two things. They're getting paid to pick the school, right? When they're coming out of high school, there's a bidding war at the time. And then they're also getting paid to transfer. Those seem to be the two big spotlights or maybe paid to stay. We'll say those are the big three. A guy like Kenny Pickett, um, the, the, uh, first, uh, the first quarterback selected in the NFL draft uh, out of Pittsburgh, he said he only earned about 100000 off of NIL. Because why? Like, I don't know, he wasn't transferring. He's obviously going to the pros. Uh, he wasn't, you know, wasn't getting recruited to a new school because he was at Pittsburgh. He's about to graduate. So that tells you, Aaron, to your point, people that are entering the transfer portal, they're saying, okay, this is the time where I might get a lot of money. If I stay at my school and I don't threaten to leave, what is the impetus for someone to come and find me to pay me a lot of money? So you can't really knock Isaiah Wong for what he's doing. Um, you know, he, he's not transferring, right? I think he pulled himself out um, and he's getting paid. That's the a, a way to do it. Just like if you were trying to get paid more money by your employer and your employer didn't give you a raise, you say, hey, I found another job over here. Uh, they're willing to pay me X. The problem, Aaron, is this tampering element, right? How does everybody know what they're going to get and what they might get from these schools before they enter the transfer portal. And that's, that's the messy, these gray areas that we've avoided forever in college sports, but the NBA is dealt with football is dealt with, which, uh, you know, we're getting a little dose of right now. Let me ask you, you know, you brought up such an interesting point. And I think it's an important point is every state has slightly different laws. And, you know, like, you know, my understanding is like, I think just in the past two or three weeks, Tennessee has put in a law that says, that the school can now work directly with the boosters. So Josh Heupel, the Tennessee football coach, can say, these are the guys I want. This is my list. Go make it happen. Where hypothetically, um, 
you know, Billy Napier at Florida or somebody like that cannot. John Ruiz at Miami cannot. Um, because every state law is a little bit different, um, is there any, is there, let me just ask you that point blank. Is there anything the NCA can really do to rein this in? Because it goes back to the fundamental point that you said at the beginning that I've said a million times on this show. Nobody is anti the players getting a cut of the pie. That's not what, you know, what any of us, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen anybody really arguing against the concept of NIL, but again, you know, there's pay for play elements to it. There is, there's bidding wars. There's, you know, you're, you're, you're committed to your team and then you enter the portal the day before. So because every state has a slightly different law, because everybody is under completely different jurisdictions, if you and I were running the NCA, Mark Emmert's out, they say Torres and Lust, you're in. Is there anything that we can do day one to actually start to just, again, let the players get their cut, but kind of just not have this wild, wild west element that's going on right now? See, I noticed something, Aaron. You said Torres and Lust. I mean, Lust, Lust comes before Torres alphabetically. Okay. Um, I, and you're I'll the brains be behind the operation, so we can uh, put listen. Lust first. I'll be the VP. I just want everyone to know that I ceded to Aaron's control. That's what he wants to rule with an iron fist. He wants to be number one. I'll get you back, Aaron. You're the Isaiah Wong. You're you're the you're the bona fide uh, established guy here. I'm just trying to take all the credit. I'm just Nigel Pack coming in. So they say Lust and Torres. Lust, you drag Torres <laughs> along with you. He'll yell and scream, and then you're you're the brain on the operation. So what? what yeah, I know what you did here. You you want me to be the Mark Emmer to take the punches, Aaron? I see what you're up to. You're going both ways. Wow, you no, just you just twisted that pretty hard. I can't win. I got you. I got you. No, I'm just messing. So I listen, know. if you and I came in, I think there is one easy solution for this. Um, I don't want to say it's easy to get it accomplished, but this would be my platform, right? Mark Emmer has vacated the NCA. He's going to get kicked out in about a year. There are people jockeying for this position and the platform that I think someone should run on is just say, listen, we can we can solve any number of issues at the NCA level, but we are now losing control of the sport. People are transferring left and right. And I think a really big deal, Aaron, that people are not. And I know I'm sure you've spoke about it. You know, I'm sure you've seen it. The, the amount of players that are transferring and entering the portal and ending up on the other end without a scholarship is a lot. You know, I saw a number. It was like three out of every ten, four out of every ten. It's it's a it's a can, large can jump, number. Can I jump in on this real quick? I saw a stat. Yeah, Travis Branham covers recruiting for twenty four seven Sports. As of Monday morning, there were about fifteen hundred players in the portal for basketball. So think about that: three hundred fifty schools. That means that every school would basically have to sign about an average of four and a half players from here on out. Forget the fact that there's just not enough scholarships. You don't want that many guys. You're talking about it's for every guy to find a spot. We're talking about four and a half scholarships per team. They'd have to sign a guy from this point on. So keep going. But I think that's a very important point that nobody talks about. So here's the thing. Why are so many athletes entering the portal is because they see these. I want to, I mean, illusions of grandeur, delusions of grandeur, whatever you want to call it, because other states and other schools are being so proactive and so aggressive with NIL. So that's why you're seeing a lot of top athletes go to Miami or Nebraska is another one that, that gets a lot, or even uh, Texas, USC. Those are the schools that seem to be kind of at the forefront. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some Florida, but uh, Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of schools at the lead of this. So let's say, and, and here's my, I don't know, again, easier said than done. I, I was involved in these communications originally. I think it's lost some steam. But a, a federal law, Aaron, you know, right now, you and I, you know, tours and lust, we go into any bar in the United States, right? We go into a bar in Hawaii, Alaska, South Dakota. We know what the drinking age is. It is 21 years of age. It's not the best law, but it is a clean law. We all know what it is. 
So that's why, Aaron, if you are in the, you know, I'm from New York. If we're on the New York, New Jersey border, back in the day, New Jersey had a lower drinking age. So people would go across state lines and they'd go drink in New Jersey. If the drinking age is 21, people are less inclined to go across state lines to get an advantage. So if a federal law comes in, basically states can do whatever they want in any given, be it cannabis or, you know, even sports betting until the federal government passes a law that they, you know, that, that supersedes what states do. We're not going to get political, but that's the conversation that's happening with the Roe versus Wade stuff right now. You know, we, because the federal government is popping out, now the states can have some say. Right now in college sports, there is no federal law. So all the states get to pick their own little things. If the federal government comes in like they did with the drinking age way back when, they made it 21, they can make one clean rule for all of college sports. It can normalize the collective conversation. It can normalize everything that we're looking at, right? Fair market value. Some players are getting paid like close to eight figures, right? Is that fair market value? I don't think so. I don't think anyone's generating, you know, close to eight figures for the university or, you know, outside of maybe Caleb Williams or Arch Manning, right? That's, that's the type of, of issues we're having without federal legislation. So certainly, I, you know, I think politicians have important things to do, but I know college sports are very big in our country. And right now, all these little state legislatures, they think they've done a really good job, right? You know, be it in, uh, in Florida and Texas to benefit their schools, but for the safety and the health of college sports, we need to normalize this, right? Hawaii should have the same rules as South Dakota, should have the same rules as Jersey, should have the same rules as Florida. Um, and then you can go back to, you know, appeasing the purists, right? When you're fighting over playing time, how nice the campus is, and you're not just fighting over bags of cash when some schools get an advantage and other schools can't. I think we need to prioritize a federal law. And uh, listen, I know there's important things to do in our country, but saving college sports has got to be on the radar somewhere. No, the, the follow-up question to that. You know, I mean, obviously, I think a big reason why we ended up in the situation that we did um, was because Mark Emmert was waiting, waiting, waiting. You know, our predecessor, the guy before Torres and Lust, Lust and Torres, Mark Emmert was waiting <laughs> for the federal government to get involved. So is that something that you see, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, um, but something that the, the powers that be in this country do deem important? Because, you know, I, I don't know where it fits in the grand scheme and all that stuff, but do you think it's something that, you know, not today, not tomorrow, we understand this stuff doesn't happen overnight, but in the next five years, if, if the powers that be in college sports present this the right way, that maybe, just maybe, something does, um, you know, something does happen so that we can balance things out just a little bit. I think it has to. And, but I think, you know, Mark Emmert certainly, uh, you know, didn't do anyone any favors for, for like the better part of two decades, was basically saying how great amateurism was. And then for him to change face and say, oh, we need a federal law. Mark Emmett was the most unpopular guy in that room. Anytime he opened his mouth, people just turned the other way. So they needed a change in leadership. I still think a federal law is is critical to this because, you know, the, the fear is, and um, you know, there's some people, and I'm a glass half full guy. I, I, you know, I like that athletes, you know, and I, and I see the trend in college football, particularly with this, you know, the historically black colleges now getting some of these recruits, but that's, you know, that's few and far between. I think the, you know, everyone's now filtering to the top schools uh, in our country with the transfer portal. So you're really, at least in college basketball, which I know is, uh, you know, you're, you're very fond of, like you really risk losing those mid-majors, right? You have a school like St. Peter's that uh, had this great run of the tournament and then everyone left, like everyone from the coach left. The coach went over to, to Seton Hall, you know? Um, so I, I think you really have a fear uh, of, of just like mass exodus every single year. Obviously the transfer rule, I, I think is the issue. And, and I don't know, at a very holistic level, I think I think I have issues with the transfer rule. I, I think, you know, um, I, I think 
I, I, I like that athletes can move, but the amount of athletes that are transferring, there's just not enough spots. So I think agents, people around these athletes are just, maybe, maybe they didn't know, um, but I have an issue with that. I have more so, I don't really have an issue with NIL. Give athletes as much money as they want. But to combine the two is really painting NIL in a bad light. When like athletes, listen, Aaron, from a legal perspective, college athletes are the only people on a college campus that can't get paid for being good at their craft. That doesn't make sense to me. Everybody's always been allowed to transfer, right? But you, there had to have been like a spot. If you're an academic transfer, there would have to be a spot for you. There's no such thing as like an academic transfer portal where you like, leave your school and hope to get picked up by someone else that doesn't exist so this concept of the transfer portal being free i mean there's got to be some guidelines and it's someone it's almost like Aaron, like the nfl draft people declare for the nfl draft because someone tells them someone you know from the nfl goes hey you're a projected you know second round guy third round guy fourth round guy right now literally everyone is going to the transfer portal and it's not possible to have that many scholarships on the other end so i think the transfer portal is probably the biggest issue in all college sports right now so let's talk about that one. Um, obviously, it went into place because, you know, about three, four years ago, um, I, not three, four, but, you know, really, I think the Shea Patterson one, I don't know how closely you were following it at the time, but Shea Patterson was at Ole Miss, wants to transfer to Michigan. Hugh Freeze, friend of mine, uh, my, my guy, Tom Mars. That's I, right. I that's well. right. I'm a friend Tom of mine. Mars. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so anyway, so my, so my buddy Hugh Freeze has been on the show many times, got fired at Ole Miss. Shea Patterson's like, I'm not staying for the new coach. And they start, you know, they basically sued the NCAA. And I think that was the one where it was like, you know, these guys are just going to lawyer up every single time. So I'll ask you again, we're running the NCAA. We're not anti-player movement. We're not, I, I'm not in favor of a kid being miserable at a place and do it for the good of the team, stick it out. It's like, no, if you're really unhappy, that's fine. But to your point, as I said a minute ago, 1500 guys are still in the portal. Honestly, I, I know this from just covering the sport. Most of these rosters are set. Teams might be looking for a guy or two. I don't think there's 1,500 spots left for everybody there. Um, so is there anything that when we're running the NCAA and we're in charge and we're doing our best to save college sports, what do we do about transfers? Because, again, unintended consequence, whether it's the NIL transfer combo, the, um, the, the, the number of spots, I would add this, too. The number of kids that are going to run out of eligibility without being close to their degree because they've transferred and they've lost a million credits. That's something that I've heard about for years that nobody talks about. So there's unintended consequences to transferring. Is there anything that we as the leaders of the NCA can do about this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of this concept that I keep getting to in my head, at least this is advisory panel, right? Because who's advising the athletes right now? It's their parents who see, you know, green on the other side. It's agents that are saying, hey, I'm hearing from, you know, this school that if you get in, they'll, they'll pull you out of the transfer, you know, they'll pull you out of the transfer portal. You know, we don't have to go further than, uh, you know, Jordan Addison over at, at Pitt, right? There's all these rumors floating around that USC made some promises and now Texas is getting involved, Alabama's getting involved. You know, I, I see the, the you know, rumors flying left and right. Um, you know, Alabama, not, not so long ago, Aaron, like repealed their NIL law. They had an NIL law in Alabama. you got to follow what Saban's doing. He goes, you know what? We don't want an NIL law to restrict anything that we're doing. So we're going to repeal it. So Saban, I'm sure, made a fake phone call. And he goes, get rid of that NIL law. And it happens. So, you know, I, I think right now the schools have all the leverage and the players have none. Right. I, I think they're just hanging the portal. So this, you know, is a short answer. I think an advisory panel, the NCAA is doing absolutely nothing. They're out here, you know, finding and getting uh, Nebraska in trouble for having too many coaches, right? The countable coaches rule. And they're not paying attention to what's important, right? The transfer portal is a real issue. So if you're protecting the athletes, 
you know, put a, put an expert panel together. People like yourself, Aaron, that really follow the sport really well. Some impartial people that can give people a grade saying, hey, you might get this grade. These are the amount of people in the portal. These are your chances of transferring to a better school. And let them make that, that chance. It's the same process to, uh, you know, uh, declare for the NBA draft. Everyone around them makes an informed decision. But I think guys are just saying, let me go into the portal and I'll figure it out. And because there's such a small sample size, you know, now, now we know there's a real downside to entering it. So hopefully that corrects itself. But I think the NCA, I don't know what, they have had no involvement in NIL. Um, I, I think this is a, a way that they can really show a good sign here, some goodwill, and, and really help these athletes and advise them on the win. Because, uh, you know, most of these guys, you talk about a thousand people in the portal, a lot of them are getting bad advice. There's nothing that, that we leading the NCA can do in terms of, so like one thing that I, I do think would help this down the road. And I don't know if legally it's possible. I don't know if Tom Mars would come in and blow up my case in 30 seconds. I, I'm not opposed to the one-time transfer, but I we're now into year two of the one-time transfer. And we have kids hitting the portal that hit the portal last year. And I do think that would help with some roster continuity where I had, you know, so as an example, mid-major coaches were telling me last year, I don't even want to recruit high school kids. I'll take a one-time transfer because once they get here, they can't just transfer up. Well, now we're seeing those same kids hit the portal this year saying, I don't think the NCAA is actually going to rule me out. Um, is there anything we can do? Is there anything we can do to say, okay, the one-time transfer means one-time transfer? Because then I do think it does some limit some of the NIL conversation. It limits some of the bad decision-making where if you know, if I enter this second time, I'm going to have to sit out a year and say an NIL kid is like, you know, I, I, I can, I had a good freshman year. I know I'm coming back for my sophomore year. I could really blow up next year and really capitalize. So the point I'm trying to make legally is Tom Morris knocking on my door. If I say first, first rule that Aaron Torres puts in with Dan Lust, Lust and Torres, Torres and Lust, whatever you want to call them, is the one-time transfer means one-time transfer. And the second time you really do have to sit out. I mean, uh, you know, I know Mars had the uh, Shea Patterson case. He had a bunch of kids uh, in Mississippi, but he also had Justin Fields, right? So there was the one-time transfer rule. And then there's the hardship ex exception. So, you know, for better or for worse, there will be lawyers. We'll find ways to get around stuff. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I think what the NCAA has changed. So, you know, why, why the NCAA has changed? I guess we should address the elephant in the room. You know, NCA versus Austin, that big United States Supreme Court case, when you had all the judges talk about that case, at the end of Judge Gorsuch's consenting opinion, uh, he wrote, he writes, the NCAA is not above the law. So that was a signal from all of us in our legal space, our sports fans, that if the NCAA steps out of line, the legal system will come after them. So, you know, back in the day, they used to make examples of guys like Reggie Bush, right? You know, the guy accepted a little bit of money, Heisman Trophy gets taken, or, you know, all the wins vacated. And I think the NCAA is very scared to do that now. They probably should make an example of someone re-entering the transfer portal. That's what a one-time transfer rule is. But I think they're scared half to death to do anything that's going to give them some bad PR because I'm out here knocking them for going after Nebraska, which, you know, like for, for countable coaches, that's what they think is a safe lane. So I think the NCAA has got to find some real leadership. It's not a punching bag like Mark Emmert, who's the college version of uh, Roger Goodell or, or Rob Manfred, like that really does something that comes in and says, listen, I might not be popular, but I'm going to institute some type of policy. Mark Emmer, for the better part of the last two years, has done nothing. Like, not even, not even something that's unpopular. He's just been too scared to act. So, I mean, that's much worse. I'd rather have someone that's trying and failing than someone that's not trying at all. So, listen, the Torres lost, lost Torres, whatever you want to call it. We are not going to fail for lack of effort. We're going swinging with some big ideas. Some of them are going to land. Some of them are going to fail. But it's going to be exciting. I feel it.
Well, no, and I, I can say definitively, it's something I've said on this show is, you know, Ember, so, so like one thing that I think part of the reason I've had success in my career, I think is because I'm not afraid to like, I, I very rarely am with the consensus on stuff. And like, sometimes, you know, and sometimes you and I have private texts where I'll be like, something doesn't add up here. And I know everyone on Twitter is saying this, but I don't think, and so anyway, I bring it up because Emirates one of the few that it's like, no, when everybody is crushing this guy, it is absolutely justified. I've told the story many times on this podcast. I was at the, the final four this year. He does his one press conference a year and literally he answered nothing. I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know, they say you can dodge a wrench. Remember that from, from Dodgeball, the movie? This guy was dodging wrenches left and right because he did not answer anything, um, you know, and everything was somebody else. Well, you know, NIL is on the States and, um, you know, the one-time transfer is on the school presidents and blah, 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 blah. So he's incompetent, whatever. Is there anything else from, from the college sports perspective right now that, that you see that from the legal aspect that, that could be tightened up, that could be fixed, that could just make where we are right now, just a little bit of a better place because I hate to keep reiterating. I, I really do. I, 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 cause I am a glasses half full guy. I love this stuff. And I maybe, maybe let me, let me frame it this way. Um, I, I've kind of come to this conclusion, right? I, like I said, I whine, I whine, I whine, but, but I do think this is kind of this weird moment in time. All these changes come into place. There's no leadership. And I do think in some way it'll kind of metaphor, it'll sort itself out in some way. We're never going back to the old days, but we're never, you know, I don't think it's going to be like this forever. Do you, do you see, do you see that whether it is a federal oversight, whether it is better leadership, whatever it is, I, you know, I, some days, you know, I see a story, the Jordan Addison thing, whatever the Isaiah Wong thing. And I'm like, this thing is going off the rails real quick. And then I think about all the other times in any other walk of life, sport, whatever, that, that we think something is changing forever, then it kind of sorts itself out over time. So, you know, it's happened in college football, um, you know, not to go too far down, you know, the, the history books, but back in the 80s, people thought college football was going to die about the amount of overexposure with television. And the NCAA, there was a big, another Supreme Court case, uh, Board of Regents in Oklahoma, if anybody remembers it. But that was a case that the NCAA was very adamant that college football will die. We've controlled it very clear with one national spotlight game. And we've been very clear. And it ended up leading to this huge influx of money. Uh, it's turned college football into, you know, maybe a nine figure sport to like, you know, a billion dollar industry, a huge, really vibrant industry. And maybe, you know, probably part of the reason we're here with paying athletes is because the money just got out of control and none of it was going to athletes. But listen, it survived. College sports evolved. Part of the evolution is this conversation that we're having right now. The only thing, you know, I'm a glass half full guy, but I have to, you know, just like I tell my, my law clients, you got to set the bar realistically. And what I can tell you, Aaron, this is, uh, this is not the worst it's going to get from a disorganization level. There is a case going up right now at the, uh, it's called House versus NCA. It's a case about whether, you know, defining what NIL is, saying, hey, like marketing deals, I guess that's NIL. Well, how about the fact that all these schools are getting paid millions of dollars to broadcast our television games? Shouldn't the athletes get a piece of that? Pro athletes get a piece of the television pie. Should we get some of that? Should we get some of merchandise? Should we get some of the ticket gate? That's being fought right now. I know, um, you know, Sedona Prince is part of that lawsuit, uh, you know, uh, former uh, Oregon uh, basketball player. So th it's, it's going to get, uh, I don't know, more interesting, right? There's going to be more money. And then, Aaron, there's another battle yet to be fought is the whether, you know, uh, athletes are employees. And that's another interesting one, whether athletes are could be fired or whether they're owed insurance disability or, you know, 
it's a it's another world. So, you know, this battle, the transfer rule, we got to work on that. That I think could be fixed. Honestly, I think it could be fixed within a year. I don't think it's that complicated. NIL though, and athlete rights, that other part of the equation, that's going to get much much trickier. So in my world, NIL is universally accepted because everyone loves student athletes having rights. Transfer issue is different. When you combine the two, there's a lethal dose. I think we could put a Band-Aid on the transfer portal issue. So NIL is not as much of a concern. Um, I think we can stop the floodgates on the transfer portal. But I'm telling you, this athlete compensation, athlete rights, the more we go up with athlete rights, the more, you know, uh, uh, I want to say, the less it becomes this full bipartisan issue. Because once football players, right, they get the ability potentially as employees, the ability to strike against the school and they go, hey, you guys just made X amount of million dollars off of that football television deal. We want half of that and you guys can have the rest. Now, football players getting half of that money, all of a sudden you can't sprinkle that across all the other athletic departments to tennis and wrestling and golf and baseball. And maybe those sports don't survive. Aaron, you, you and I talked about this during COVID, maybe one of our first conversations, that a lot of the non-revenue generating sports you know, didn't, didn't make it through the pandemic. The, the sports that weren't making money got cut. So that's the conversation that we might be having five, 10 years down the road. What paying athletes, the impact it has on the school. So there's a lot of work to be done. And that's why I, for one, am happy to see Emmert go. Guy's done absolutely jack. I kept it, I kept it radio appropriate for you, Aaron. And uh, I think it needs someone to come in and roll some heads here. So there was a really interesting thing that happened on Monday that nobody saw, nobody cares. I thought it was very interesting though. The University of Illinois was in the process of starting a men's ice hockey division one scholarship team. And they announced that they discontinued the team because they were worried about funding because so much of the funding was going to NIL and go, you know, is now going to paying for players and all that kind of stuff rather than back into the athletic department where it could be dispersed evenly. So it's really funny that you bring that up. And that was going to be my final question really in two parts. And you already sort of answered it, but I'll just lay it out there. Do you think in five years, do you think in 10 years, we're just going to have a situation where athletes are, in fact, salaried employees, um, they're under contract. So, you know, the contract stipulates that if you sign here, uh, you can't get out of this contract on a year by year basis, blah, 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 whatever. You're entitled to this amount of money, blah, 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 whatever. Do you think we get there? And then I was going to ask, well, go ahead, go start with that. Start with that. Start with that. Yeah, I'll keep it really tight. I, I think we are moving. You you announced the rule, the new law in Tennessee, and there's another one in Mississippi, same law that allows the schools to work with the collectives. Right now, right prior to the collective era, uh, you know, a guy like Spencer Rattler, former quarterback at Oklahoma, you know, he signed all these local Oklahoma deals. So nothing was really tied to him. Like the school didn't give him those deals. So those deals didn't necessarily evaporate when he transferred. I think he went to South Carolina, if memory yeah. serves. Um, but you know, I think as the schools start to be more involved with the deals, like Caleb Williams is is working with USC on his deal. So I think this, the closer you get to those, and the reason he's allowed to do it, Aaron, you gave me a confused face. California California law does not prohibit it like it does over in Florida. So that's why some schools can be certain directly involved and other ones can't. It doesn't make any sense. So I think we are moving closer towards a world where the schools can be directly involved in procuring these deals for the athletes. And then, right, Aaron, you asked me, um, you know, these, this world of contract. I think, I think fairly, if you leave a school, you should probably lose all, all the deals that school helped procure for you. That would make sense. 
Um, I would think if you're leaving that school, you're losing everything that, you know, that community, be it boosters or the school got for you. So I think we're getting closer to there. I don't know if the employee conversation will happen that quickly, but I do know that case NCA versus Austin did use the word employees in the same sentence as student athletes. Uh, so we're moving closer. I don't know if that's in five years, employees, but tying certain deals to the university and the university being directly involved, I think that might even be closer than five years. Very interesting. And that was going to be my last question was, you know, if, if a football player, like, like by law, this is what I, I, this is what I don't know. And this is why I've, I have you on by law. If I'm, you know, I've now transitioned from being the uh, president, the co-president of the NCAA to now I'm say an athletic director at say UConn or UConn's maybe not a good example because the football program. So I'm, I'm the athletic director at Texas A&M and we get to the point where, you know what, we're just going to pay the players a salary, this, that, the other thing. What does that mean for non-revenue sports and with the law, it, how the law views it, if I, if we come to the stipulation that we're paying salaries to the cornerback and the safety and the defensive tackle, does that mean that if we want to run a tennis program that we have to pay the tennis players as well? How does all that work? Yes and no. You're, you're, we're, we're getting to, if, if you, to use the term like salary, I think a guy like John Ruiz over at Miami, he wouldn't <laughs> call what he's doing a salary. He'd say, I'm giving them 800 over, you know, Nigel Pack, 800 over two years to promote my brand. That's not a salary. That's a marketing contract. Once you start talking about salaries, you're saying a term that that's closer to an employment term or, you know, benefits and disability, right? I think the these collectives are very smart. They know what they're doing. Yeah. John Ruiz is kind of floating it. He's getting pretty close. He's walking a little bit of a tightrope, but... You know, um, I, I think it's it looks a lot like pay to play. Um, but, you know, as long as you avoid avoid those terms, right, like the Texas Pancake Club and making these overtures. And I think there it was this big story over in Texas, like, hey, they were announcing how much money was in the uh, the collective. It's like, well, are they inducing people to leave their schools or are they saying that so they can just uh, promote how much money the collective has? Like there's all these shades of gray because you're not allowed to say like. Aaron, if you you and I had the uh, the collective for Texas and we said, hey, uh, you know, the Tourism Lust Collective, we, we dropped out of the NCAA, this co-president thing didn't work, or they just gave us a huge bag to go over to Texas, which is yeah. probably what would have happened because we yeah, did such a good job running the NCA. And uh, we go, listen, we got we got $150 million in this collective. Uh, isn't that great? And we ended the sentence there. That seems to be fine. But if we said we have $150 million, who wants a piece of this? Calling all athletes at all schools. You can't do that because that would be an inducement to bring people in. So I, I think these people are getting really smart and I'm not going to you know, be fully transparent. I get phone calls to, from people to be smart with that language. And I say, listen, you know, we thought this wasn't going to be allowed pre you know, July 1st, 2021, but look over here, look what they're doing. Look what this guy's doing here. Look what this way. And no one is being punished anywhere. So all I can do is tell you, I, there's, a, there's shades of gray, right? And there is no sheriff in town. So for purpose of this conversation, Aaron, I think are, are people that want to be optimistic. Once you have real competent leadership in charge of the NCA, not just a, you know, a captainless ship, we're going to move closer to a solution. And conversations like this, especially in the Lust Torres era of the NCA, you're going to move us closer to the goal line. No pun intended, buddy. So I, I, I love that in this, this made up version of our world, Texas is still a mess that needs somebody to bail them out. It's like, doesn't matter if it's the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, uh, Texas needs something. One last question, then I'm going to let you go. So this was very interesting to me. You mentioned, we've talked about all the different laws. 
John Calipari and his staff on Tuesday said something very interesting. Basically, Cal, one of Calipari's staff members basically said, we are not, we do not do recruit, we do not do NIL um, guarantees here. In other words, they very publicly said, we don't do pay for play. And at first it sounded like kind of an out of touch thing, like, oh, we're not doing NIL. Then it kind of comes out that the way that the Kentucky individual law is written is you can't do pay for play. It has to be, you know, performance-based, whatever. What would actually happen if somebody like got caught breaking their state law? Now you could be Nick Saban and just have the whole state legislature rewrite the law. But, you know, I, I know of one state where the law is pretty tight and I know of schools that are breaking that law. It's not Kentucky. It's not Alabama for people wondering. Um, it, but, but what would happen if, if I'm John Smith and I'm the, the, the football coach at, uh, you know, Iowa, let's, uh, Iowa's a totally hypothetical and I know what my NIL law is and I know that everybody else is doing it. So I got to keep up, but I'm breaking my state law. What would happen to me? Right. So before I, before I let you go, um, in this Lust Torres era, I feel like, you know, if you want to be Torres and Lust, you want to be the head of the NCAA, I get to say we're back. I get to do okay, the, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I get to say it, and we go to Texas. I get to say we're back, sure. and then uh, Texas would fall flat on their face. But <laughs> yeah. hopefully I didn't offend our Texas fans here. Okay, so here's, here's why, and this brings me back to my earlier point, why I like this federal law. I like a federal, impartial, someone that is not on the boots and in, in the ground in North Carolina or in Florida or in Ohio or Ohio or Texas, right? Because if you violate a state law, let's say it's let's say you're talking about Florida's law, right? If you violate Florida law in, in doing something, right? If John Ruiz violates Florida's law in helping a uh, Miami Ruiz, what a guy. What well, a guy. he's a former lawyer. So I guess he's a current lawyer. He's but screwed uh, up a lot of stuff for a lot of people, but continue, continue. Well, 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 think about it. What think about what he's doing. This I use Florida in particular, but like Ruiz is putting himself out there. They've landed a ton of big recruits on the college, on the on football, on men's basketball, women's basketball. They signed the Cavender twins over from Fresno State. Like the, the guy knows what he's doing and he's putting it out there. I think other people are scared to do it and he's landing recruits and nothing is happening. So could something happen from the NCAA? Sure. But where's the other thing it could happen? It could come from, you know, the, the attorney general over in Florida. He could say, listen, here's the state law. It says X, you did Y, you know, I'm finding you this amount, this and that, you know, whatever. Miami's going to get, Miami University's going to get in trouble. But here's the thing, right? Like, why would the attorney general for, you know, for a position that really depends on a lot of public support, why would they want to attack Miami University for landing a star recruit? Why would, why would they want to attack Florida or, you know, Florida Gulf Coast, right? Were they Dunk City back in the day? Was that the name? Dunk City? Andy Enfield, my buddy down at USC was Dunk City. But what I will say you don't know college sports well enough, man. There's probably some Gators and some Seminoles in that uh, House of Representatives or whatever that that doesn't like what Miami's doing. So, uh, yeah, but there's some hurricanes. There's some hurricanes sure. in there too. But You're the right. thing is, if you pull if you pull the pun the punishment arm away from Florida and you give it to some national body, and again, I, I, like I don't I don't say this to say it just just for you know yeah shits and giggles. Can I can I say shits and giggles? Yeah, is that, is that appropriate? Yeah, of course. They need people that are like like a version of you, Aaron, that are that are in the weeds, that have the, that understand what's going on with these laws, right? You're not necessarily uh, a lawyer, but you understand what the laws are and you understand that, that something is going wrong. So they need a federal uh, decision body, which they almost had, right? Uh, the early stage of NIL that didn't go through, but for someone to be this enforcement wing of the federal government, 
to basically say when people are doing things wrong, just like, you know, the IRS goes after people for tax fraud or stuff like that. Like they need someone if they really want to save college sports, if it's that important, right? Major League Baseball has an antitrust exemption that was created by the, the, the courts in our country, right? Like the, the, our, our branches of government have gotten involved with sports support. It's not that insane to say that we need to save college sports, right? So um, I, I certainly could see it happening. And I, and I think that's the way to enforce this because these states are not self-policing themselves. No one's doing anything. It's not the NCA. It's not the states. So, you know, you could repeal your law if you're Alabama, or you could just violate your law if you're uh, another state. It doesn't really seem to matter in this era. And it's Aaron, we've, we've been in this for almost a full year and no one has gotten hit with anything, um, which is odd, which tells you the trends are that no one's going to do anything at any point. So again, Aaron, we have a, we have a capitalist ship it doesn't have to be tours and lust, right? It can be one of our other friends. Maybe it could be Dan Beyer, your friend over at Fox Sports. It could be somebody, somebody that knows what they're doing, but it can't, it can't be nobody and it can't be for lack of effort. Dan Lust. Whew, that was good. That was awesome. That's good. Listen, yeah, no, that's, not, what, no, that's what they pay. That's what they pay me for. This law degree is not fake. That's what, <laughs> that's what, now I'm just not the whiny guy without any answers. I'm a man with some answers. I just, we just saved college sports and um, I appreciate it. Dan Lust, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. Uh, listen to Conduct, Conduct Detrimental, his podcast. Listen to, uh, go ahead and enroll at NYU so you can take his uh, sports law class. Anything else I missed? What else? What else you got? I think that's it. I think that's it. And uh, get your pets spayed and neutered. Uh, yeah. Like friend, okay. uh, Bob Barker used to say. All right. Price is right. All right, Dan, Dan, price is right. Maybe a theme that, you know, it's, it's a metaphor for what's going on <laughs> in college sports right now. Dan Lust, I appreciate the time. Uh, we will do this again soon, but hopefully not too soon because we just saved college sports. Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute, but before we do, I want to welcome in a new sponsor, Athletic Greens and athleticgreens.com. With one delicious scoop of AG1, that's Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Quick side story. The founder of this company, they were experiencing gut health issues and were spending over $100 a day on vitamins and supplements. They knew there had to be a better way. That's Athletic Greens. For the cost of just $3 a day, you can get Athletic Greens. Here's the best part. It contains less than one gram of sugar with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash emerging. That's athleticgreens.com slash emerging for one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take over ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Thank you again for being our partner. All right, everybody. I am back. 
Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Good to be back. And I do want to wrap. Uh, first of all, I want to thank uh, a couple things. First of all, I want to thank Dan Lust. That segment was incredible. I don't want to say that we just saved college sports, but he and I kind of just saved college sports. So thank you to Dan Lust. Uh, also, thank you to our new sponsor, Athletic Greens. Athleticgreens.com slash emerging is what you want to do if you want to get in on the action. Looking forward to working with them going forward. With that said, though, I do kind of want to wrap the show. First of all, as I said, uh, you know, earlier in the show, I am going to see Dave Chappelle tonight. So if anything crazy happens after about 5.30, 6 o'clock Eastern time, sorry, I'm off the grid. I'm off the radar. We're going to have to save it for Friday's show. Uh, but there were a couple things. You know, one, Jordan Addison, that really good wide receiver from Pitt, won the Bolitnikov last year. He did ultimately end up entering the transfer portal on Tuesday. Uh, don't know what his future holds. Obviously, USC was the school that was linked to him, but now that he's in the portal, it is open season, and, and I expect Alabama to get involved. I expect Texas to get involved. I don't know if there's going to be other schools, but he is going to be a who's who. It will be a who's who of who is interested in Jordan Addison, and I would expect it to very quickly become one of the more interesting recruiting stories on the football side going forward. I do want to talk about an interesting recruiting story on the basketball side, though, as on Tuesday morning, one of the top players in the college basketball transfer portal, Baylor Shireman, a 6'6", kind of guard wing hybrid type player who played the last couple years at South Dakota State, he made his college decision on Tuesday. What was interesting, though, was it wasn't just that he made a college decision, but that there was all sorts of actually, again, topic of the day, NIL, rumors, innuendo, whatever. And I can tell you for a fact that a lot of what you have read out there is not accurate, and it does not reflect why this kid ultimately made his decision, the one that he did on Tuesday. So let's get into it. Let's talk about it. And let's start with this. I just told you, Baylor Shireman, really good player. Entered the portal probably, I don't know, four weeks ago, three weeks ago. And once that happened, he heard from all of the big names in college basketball. Duke reached out. Gonzaga reached out. Arizona reached out. Kentucky made his top 10. Uh, Arkansas made his top 10. You go on and on down the list. Kansas was in the mix there for half a second. But ultimately, the decision comes Tuesday morning. Baylor Shireman picks. Drumroll, please. <laughs> Baylor Shireman from South Dakota State picks. Are you ready for this? How about those Creighton Blue Jays, baby? That is right, Baylor Shireman, a Creighton Blue Jay. And I believe that this kid is the missing piece for what frankly could be a national championship contender, as crazy as that sounds with Creighton. First of all, the kid, the player I just told you a minute ago, really, really special talent. Uh, 16 points, 8 rebounds. How about this? 47% three-point shooting this past year for a South Dakota State team Remember, we talked actually very briefly about South Dakota State in the lead-up to the NCAA tournament. They were the number two scoring offense behind Gonzaga this year, and this guy was a big part of it. He was the best player on a really good team that won 30-plus games, and frankly, he actually entered the NBA draft and ha has been testing the NBA draft waters, and there is still a possibility that he could stay in the NBA draft. So that's worth noting. There's a chance that he never ends up at Creighton, I don't think he goes through the recruiting process, and I don't think he makes a public commitment if he does not expect to be back to campus, though. Why it's important is because the one thing is that I just said is accurate. Creighton is really good coming into next year, and this guy very well might be the missing piece. I know Creighton's been a better program over the last couple of years, but for those of you who don't follow him on a day-to-day -day basis, they were frankly one of the best, pro one of the best probably teams in college basketball 
over the final three, four weeks of the season this year. And it was a crazy story because, first of all, remember two seasons ago during that crazy COVID year, 2020-2021, they, they went to the Sweet 16 first time in like 30, 40 years that they had been to the Sweet 16. In 2020, the season that was canceled, they were obviously, of course, part of that final game of the season when they played uh, St. John's at Madison Square Garden and then the season was canceled. But they won the Big East in 2020. Last year, they go to, or 2021, they go to the Sweet 16. Then they lose all five starters coming into this year. Well, it took a while, but by the end of the year, they were like the most scary team in college basketball. If you remember, they played Providence in the Big East tournament. They go on like a 32-2 run and blow them out. They play Villanova tough, lose to Villanova in the conference championship game, and they did all that, how about this, without their two best guards. Their, their, their starting point guard to start the year, Sharif Mitchell, gets hurt. His backup, who became a starter and one of the best freshmen in college basketball, Ryan Nemhard, he gets hurt late in the year, and all that happens is Creighton keeps getting better. Make the NCAA tournament, beat San Diego State in round one. They lose their starting center in round one, and they still almost beat Kansas. So you talk about a team, a program that is on the rise. They lost their top two guards coming into the season by the end of the regular season, still almost win the Big East tournament. Then they go to the NCAA tournament, lose a starting center, and almost beat the eventual national champion, the Kansas Jayhawks. Well, off of that team, four starters return. Ryan Kalkbrenner, really good center. Ryan Nemhard, the point guard, two wings that are really good. Trey Alexander's kind of a bigger guard who actually took over for the point guard spot when the other two went down. And a kid named Arthur Kaluma, who I think is really, really, really good, a guy that's going to play in the NBA here in a year or so. With that said, there was one thing that they were missing, though, and they had a, a kind of a, the, the, that four spot was where they were missing a guy. They had a guy named Ryan Hawkins, averaged 14 points per game. Well, Baylor Shireman is a guy that's going to step in, come in, and he is going to be the guy that replaces Ryan Hawkins, and I do believe that he is ultimately the missing piece for this program. They had four starters coming back off a team that made the second round of the tournament, was playing as well as anybody. The one spot they needed was a bigger guard, a, you know, a big forward, whatever you want to call it, basically the four spot, a guy that could make plays, and that's exactly who this guy is. As I said, 16 points, 8 rebounds, 4.5 assists, 47% three-point shooting. This guy is a perfect fit. And when I look at Creighton next year, I'm just telling you, this is a team that can legitimately win the national championship. If you're looking for a, 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 a team to bet maybe that isn't one of the favorites along, you know, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Duke, whatever, go ahead and go ahead and bet Creighton because I think they are good enough to win it all. Um, and I think this guy is really going to be the X factor. I saw, you know, myself, I now have Creighton in my top five coming into next year. I saw that John Rothstein has them all the way up to number two behind North Carolina. So the buzz is building. It is a very good team going into next season. And Baylor Shireman's the missing piece. I believe Creighton is a definitive top five team. But here's the thing, though. If it was just about Creighton, and it was just about Baylor Shireman, this is where the segment would end. But why I want to continue to talk about it is because there was something that very interesting came up in the course of his recruitment, and it is once again another story about NIL. And I don't mean to beat down the NIL point, but this is one where I actually am frustrated not with the NIL component, but with the way it was covered because I believe that it was covered completely unfairly. And so let me get into it. Let me explain because really about 24 hours or so before Baylor Shireman ended up committing to Creighton, he cut his list down to five, and one of the schools that took him off the list 
that he took off their list, excuse me, was the University of Kentucky. Everybody knows I've covered Kentucky. I've no, I, I, for the most part, I, I think really like John Calipari, like what he does. But there start to be all these media reports that Baylor Shireman, he's making crazy NIL demands, and that was why Kentucky, why he's no longer considering Kentucky, and Kentucky is no longer recruiting him. Can I tell you this? Can I just say this? Am I dumb enough to think that NIL played no role? Absolutely not. But we need to stop with this thing that every single time a kid commits somewhere, oh, there must be something going on. It must be this. It must be that. It must be NIL. And that's why this kid didn't commit. I can tell you for certainty. One, Baylor Shireman said it. In an interview with ESPN, he actually literally said, there was all these crazy reports that came out. I'll read the quote verbatim, actually. He said, it's actually funny because there was some information getting out that, like, I was demanding this and that. In reality, I knew NIL was going to be a part of it, but I told my parents at the beginning of the process that if I'm going back to school, I'm doing this to ultimately put myself in a better position for my pro aspirations. And so I know people will sit there and say, that's crap, that's this, that's that. What I can tell you definitively is this. I've talked to multiple people from multiple angles on this thing. And like I said a minute ago, while I can't say that NIL played no role we need to get past the idea that anytime any kid picks a school, it is solely because of NIL. And in a lot of ways, this Baylor Shireman thing, it actually reminds me a lot of the, as weird as it sounds, it's going to sound weird, of the situation with Texas A&M football. If you remember, number one recruiting class, and I was one of the few guys that, like, I defended Texas A&M, and I can definitively tell you, I kind of know what happened to Texas A&M too. Can't really say everything that I know. But what I can tell you is that while it'd be ignorant to say that NIL played absolutely no role in them signing the greatest recruiting class in the history of college football, the role that NIL played was actually much smaller than people realize and people think. People think, oh, A&M's just going around handing out bags of cash. Jimbo Fisher brought up a good point the other day. He said, if I'm going to pay anybody, if it's all about NIL, why wouldn't I just go get, why wouldn't I just go pay all my underclassmen that are declaring for the NFL draft? I'd much rather have a junior or senior along the offensive or defensive line than I would bring in a freshman. So the idea that NIL play was the only reason that A&M signed the number one recruiting class in the country was idiotic. I talked about it on this show multiple times. One, A&M is in a recruiting hotbed. They're a few hours from Houston. Well, guess where most of their recruits came from? They took advantage of some coaching changes. They got recruits that were committed to Oklahoma, that were committed to Florida, that were committed to LSU, that had coaching changes, started looking around and ended up at A&M. There were other reasons. Jimbo Fisher's a Hall of Fame coach. Many of the kids were visiting the weekend of the Alabama game and committed shortly thereafter. There's a million reasons why Texas A&M signed the number one recruiting class in high school football, and NIL was only a small part of it. And you know what? It's the same with this Baylor Shireman kid. It's the same with this Baylor Shireman kid. And if you think the only reason he ended up at freaking Creighton is because of NIL, you're out of your freaking mind. First of all, this kid is from Nebraska. So obviously he is choosing to stay close to home. For people who don't know, Creighton is in Omaha, Nebraska. That is the first reason why this kid ultimately decided to go to Creighton. The second reason is, and I know this is going to be unpopular with Kentucky fans and Kansas fans and this fans and that fans and whatever, Creighton's actually the best fit. And the one thing that I have tried to tell all of you guys and girls through the years, transfer portal recruiting is significantly different than high school basketball recruiting, okay? In high school basketball, and and it's actually interesting, about two years ago, if you remember the kid Matt Harms, remember that kid, the big kid from Purdue, he hits the portal. He commits to BYU over Kentucky. 
And he said something at the time, and it's 100% accurate. He said, I've been through all the recruiting pitches. When I was in high school, the stuff like facilities and the stuff like gear and the stuff like shoes and sneakers, that was what mattered to me now. But I got one year left in college basketball. I need to go to the place that is going to best get me ready for the professional ranks and put me in the best position to succeed. And so when you look at Baylor Shireman, it's the exact same thing. If it was only about money, guess what? He's still in the NBA draft. He could just go pro and make plenty of money this year. You know what it's about? It's about exactly what he said. It's about going to a place that is going to put him in position to succeed. And Creighton, which plays up and down, fast pace, lots of three-point shooting, that is the school that is actually going to put him in the best position to do it because they play a style play that's beneficial to him. They need the exact player that he is. They have a spot open for him. And so it makes perfect sense. And so this is no disrespect to Kentucky and all the reporters. And, and I like those reporters. I'm not criticizing those reporters. But what I'm telling you is, the, I, I, I can just say for certain. What I can just say is for certain. NIL, of course, played a role. NIL, of course, played a role. He has the same agent as Nigel Pack, okay? So to say that NIL played no role would be silly. But he has one year left to prove to NBA scouts that he is a guy that wasn't just a, a, a good player putting up good stats in a bad league. He has one year to be in the best position possible to have the most success possible, okay? Clearly, Creighton, which is returning four starters but is missing his exact skill set, is a great spot for him. No disrespect. I'm not sure that Kentucky is. Kentucky has a million guys in the backcourt and on the wing. They have Cason Wallace. They have Chris Livingston. They have Jacob Toppin. Maybe Keon Brooks, although he's in the transfer report. I don't think he comes back. They have Lance Ware. So this guy's going to come there and be like one of six guys competing for minutes? Or is he going to go to the place where he is the missing piece to a potential national championship team? So I don't mean to belabor the point, and I don't mean to go off on Kentucky or the media or this or that, but it was frustrating to me to see that basically a, a group of media, frankly, and I like these guys. I'm not criticizing them. They have a job to do. But th that's only part of it. To say NIL was the only reason is just... It really bothered me. It was interesting, by the way. I don't know if you saw this. John Calipari felt the need to actually speak out, not directly about Baylor Shireman, but about NIL. And essentially, he said that uh, basically it was one of his staff members, actually, that said that, um, you know, that they were not going to make NIL guarantees. John Calipari sort of ran that back. It was interesting, though, following the Baylor Shireman thing. Again, I'm sure there was NIL in the conversation. I'm sure the agent pushed hard for a certain dollar figure. And I'm sure that Creighton probably had to come pretty close to matching that dollar figure. But again, that's not the only reason why. And I thought it was interesting by John Calipari to actually get out in front of it. At first, I was kind of critical. I kind of said, you know, I don't know if this is the right thing for him to say. Basically, that we don't publicly, you know, we don't do guarantees. On the flip side, I do think it's a changing world. And I think that he's making sure. He's like, I'm not going to let one kid bring down my program if if the law says that it can't be pay for play and the, the current law in Kentucky says exactly that, I talked about it a little bit with Dan Lust, I think Cal Perry's like, you know what? I, I, I'm not breaking the law. Forget whatever the NCAA rules look like two, three, four years down the road. I ain't breaking the law to get this kid. But again, I hate to belabor the point. It was frustrating for me to watch because I thought the media did not do a fair job of covering that story. Uh, I don't think they did a fair job of reflecting the real reasons that Baylor Shireman ended up at Creighton. But one of the best players in the portal is headed to Creighton. And I think 
of all your favorite college basketball writers, whether it's me, whether it's John Rothstein, whether it's Jeff Borzello, whether it's whoever, I think all of us really like Creighton going into next year. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast. I got to get out of here. Random Tuesday night event on my calendar, so I'm going to go have some fun. Like I said, if anything crazy happens, late afternoon, early month, you know, whatever, on, on Tuesday, we'll hit it on Friday's show. Before we get out of here, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. It is time for me to get out of here, though. By the way, make sure you're subscribed to YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed to all that good stuff. But I'm going to go. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. I'll be back on Friday, party people. I hope everybody has a great week. Until then, we will talk on Friday. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.